we've learned a lot uh, since September 11, uh, 01, 10 years ago. That there are some things in our world that happen that we really don't have answers to. And might not have answers to until we meet our, our God and Savior face to face. There are many things that unfold in our lives that just don't make sense. When they hit your doorstep, when they hit your home or your workplace or your world, when buildings are crumbling around us and we wonder, is there a God? Is God in control? But we have so much that we can learn through times like these. Times like these cause us to run to God. Times like these help us to see that we are defenseless without God. But they also push us to ask real hard questions regarding bad things or tough things or hard things. Would God allow bad things to happen to good people? Is that a premise of what he's made of? Or should bad things happen to good people? Or would God not ever let bad things happen to good people? Those are the kind of questions that surface out of times of difficulty, times of duress, times when terrorism hits on our land and in our country. Those kind of questions drive us to the core of what we believe or don't believe. Do we believe that God is good? Do we believe that God is in complete control of everything that happens in our lives? Do you honestly believe that in times of tragedy when nothing makes sense to you with what you've been handed? Can you honestly say that in your deepest and darkest and and, and moment when you're all by yourself and no one's around, that you believe that God is in control and that he's still good? Why would God allow something like that to happen to us? Why would he allow a few terrorists that have a desire to bring evil upon people to enter into this mind all together and put together a plan that would take hundreds and hundreds and thousands of lives? Why would God allow that? Is our God in control? Is he a good God? Why would God allow cancer to riddle the body of a single mom with two children? Is God in control? Is he still in control? Do you believe he's in control when something like that happens? Why would God allow an infant to be taken way too early in life when the parents are sure that this child will some way bless the world? Why would God walk in and allow a baby to die way before we deem time? Is God in control? Do bad things happen to good people? Why would God allow the evil abuses of humans being raped and molested and sold into human sex slavery in our world? Do we have a good God? Is our God in control? Can we look at someone and say, our God is in control, and even though these horrific things are happening in our world, does our God exist in times of duress and trial and struggle and just horrific things in our world. If God is in control, why would he allow the atrocities such as 911 or whatever comes to your mind right now? Do bad things happen to good people? Should bad things happen to good people? Is that just a myth that that it doesn't happen or that it does happen? I think it drives us to ask a few questions about our God. I think it drives me to say, when I stand here today, when I stand before you and say, why do bad things happen to good people and and why do we need to address that? I, I have to ask this question, is my God a good God? Is my God a perfect God? Is my God and the God that you came to worship and serve today a God that has evil within his being? Is he a God who created a world that's imperfect because he's imperfect. Those are the kind of questions that people like to to surface during these kinds of times, especially atheists. Atheists during this time of time of duress and trial would, 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 would propose things like, if God is powerful, they would acknowledge a loving and perfect God, number one. They would say, God is powerful and you believe it. He's a loving and perfect God. Then they would say, a perfect God would create a universe that was perfect without evil and suffering then. If God is perfect and loving, and we acknowledge that. And secondly, a perfect God would create a a universe that was perfect. No evil and no suffering. And so they would say, if those two things exist side by side, then it must be true, then this must be true. 
the universe is not perfect because there's evil in it and suffering. And so God doesn't exist or God's not perfect. That's where your atheists, that's where your agnostics go. That's where they believe. They, they would say then if God is a perfect God, he should create a perfect universe and he should create a universe without evil and suffering because within him is not evil and within him is not suffering and within him is not anything bad. And so if there is in our world, then they would say that we have to say one plus two equals three and three is that God is not perfect and that our God does not exist and he's has evil within him. How would you respond to that question? Do you believe that? Do you believe that that God, our God isn't perfect? Well, here's what I know to be true. I know that God is love. The word of God tells us that. I know that God is perfect. Deuteronomy 32.4, mark that down. Deuteronomy 32.4 says, God is perfect in all his ways. I also know this, that when God created the universe, he said it was good. In fact, he said it was very good. If you go back to creation and time and you look at Genesis 1 and 2, God created and he said it's good. God created and he said it's good. God created and he said it was good. God created and he created man and he said it was very, very, very good. But he never said that the universe was perfect. God said it was good. And he said he created something that was very good, but he never said it was perfect. In fact, if you look at the creation account and you look when Adam and Eve walked on earth, God actually said this in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. He said part of what he created and part of what existed was not good. So ask yourself this question. You know when he said that? He said when for man to be alone, that is not good. So if God himself acknowledged that there was something about his universe that wasn't good, then we have to ask this question, was everything he created good? Here's what I know to be true. A perfect universe will be created one day that will replace this one. But... Our God created a universe. Our God created beings. Our God created what we call life itself and looked at it and he saw man and he said this. You know what? It's not good that he's alone. He acknowledged that there were some imperfections in his creation. God had a choice to create it that way. So does that make him an imperfect God? Absolutely not. It breaks the premise that atheists have that if he's a perfect God, he creates a perfect universe and a perfect God creates a perfect universe. And if there's imperfections, then he's not God. He's imperfect. You break it down. God himself acknowledged when he created that it wasn't good for man to be alone. So he created imperfections in the way that man was, was brought along and said he needed a helpmate. A perfect loving God doesn't have to create a perfect universe. Here's what I know, and I'll repeat this. There will be a day when there will be no sin. There will be a day when there will be no more tears. There will be a day when Satan will be defeated and all evil will be defeated. But it's when he creates the new heaven and the new earth. And it's when we are resurrected from this body that we live in, when the rapture occurs at the end of the second coming, then and only then will God create something and have something that's completely perfect without sin. So you ask this question again, is God in control? Absolutely, yes. You look in Romans, you look in Ephesians, you look in Colossians, it says he holds the world together with his hands. So, did God allow evil to exist in the world. Does he allow it? Does he allow bad things to happen to good people? We're going to unfold that question today because I believe the answer to that will help us see that there will be times in our lives when evil pervades, when we have to deal with atrocities like 911. And I'm going to show you why these happen and I'm going to show you what they do for us. But I'll begin by saying this, good people do exist. They do. God said when he created man, he said, when he looked at Adam, he said, it's good. It's very good. Good people do exist. But 
We don't have people who do good all the time. Romans chapter 3, it tells us that, that, that we are imperfect. There's no one righteous, but good people exist, but they don't always do good. Grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Job. We're going to walk through this concept of good and evil. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. And ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. Good people do exist. Look at Job chapter 1. It's right before the book of Psalms. Turn to Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. Let's look at verses 1 through 3. Please turn there and when you find that, stand and we'll read it together. Good people do exist. Look at Job chapter 1 in verses 1 through 3. Let's read this together. Ready? Read. In the land of Uz there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. And he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys. And had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. You may, have a, you may have a seat. It's obvious that Job was pretty special. In fact, it says he was the greatest man of all the men among the East. And it also says that he was, look, look what it says, that he was blameless and upright. So God himself puts it in scripture that there was a man who existed who was good who was very good. In fact, he was blameless and upright. And so as we read this book, you would think that if we, we follow down the, the line that bad things never happen to good people, that this book would be a picture of Job living a life that's blessed, as we call it, without any suffering, without any evil, without any harm, without any adversity. Because if it's true that bad things never happen to good people, then here is a good person, blameless and upright in every way, then what we should know about him from here on out is that his life didn't contain any bad things whatsoever. He was blameless and upright. It says he feared God and he shunned evil. Even the very presence of evil, he tried to push it away. He tried to turn from it and go in the opposite direction. So you would think if evil, doesn't, evil things don't happen to, to good people, then here's the prime example of a case where that is true. Because he shunned evil, he feared God, he was blameless and upright, he did what God wanted to do. And when God looked on planet earth and he looked in the east where the majority of people were, he looked and here was a man that was the greatest among all of men. He did exactly what God wanted him to do. So if there should be good things come to a person that's good, this is the classic example. Needless to say, some might say, well, he had it so good, it was easy to be good. I mean, look what he owned. He owned owned tons of of property. He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen. He had seven sons and three daughters. And he had servants. I mean, I could be good with that, couldn't you? Sure. God, I, I, I could be set with that. If I owned all that he owned and bring it to this day and time, I could be okay with that. I would shun evil because in my mind, I wouldn't need anything. I had everything that a human being could possibly need. He was the greatest man amongst the East. So you would think that all would go well for him. Look at verse 4. Let's see what happens. Verse 4. His sons used to take turns holding feasts in their homes. And they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. Not only did he care about his life, but here was a man that acted as the priest for the family. And every day, just in case they sin, as if his kids never sin, he would offer a sacrifice to God and say, here's a sacrifice for my kids. And he would be the priest. He would go out and he offered this and he prayed before God. And he said, God, may this sacrifice, may this lamb, may this, this instrument of reconciliation be given to my children if they've done something wrong. So not only did he shun evil, not only was he a righteous man, not only was he the greatest man, but he even defended the evil of his children. He tried to intercede on their behalf as a priest. 
this was a good man. Any way you looked at it, Job was good. Plus the mere fact that God would say that he was the greatest man in the East. Imagine God walking through this community and he looked down this community and he pointed out a woman or he pointed out a man. He said, there is the greatest woman. There is the greatest man in this community. Imagine God himself acknowledging that. Now, wouldn't you think if God himself acknowledged that, that no harm would ever come that person's way? Come on, he's a good man. He doesn't, doesn't do any wrong. So you got to wonder, is this guy's faith for real? Or is he only trusting in his wealth and possessions? Is he only this way because he has all these things? Same could be true of you. Do you have faith because of what you own or because things aren't difficult? Or do you have faith in God based upon this relationship that no matter what happens to you, your faith is strong when bad things do come? So Job is going to be tested. And we're going to see whether or not he was good and whether or not he, bad things happened to him. Let me just say this secondly too regarding this whole discussion of whether bad things should happen to good people. Good people do face bad things. I believe that with all of my heart. Look at verse 6 of Job chapter 1. Verse 6 of Job chapter 1 says, One day the angels came to present themselves before the what? Who's it, what's it say? The Lord. And who? Satan also came with them. Now just pause for a second. God is in his throne. God is uh, moving around. Angels came and they're coming for a report just like demons do regularly to Satan. And they probably came to God and said, okay, where do you want to send me today? Where, who do you want me to comfort today? Where can I be a ministering spirit? That's what angels are. And so God gives them orders each day. He says, go comfort Jim. Go comfort this person. Go comfort and protect that person. So he sends angels to all across our world to protect. And so they're walking before God to get their marching orders for the day. And so as they go there, the angels are going and they look to their left or right and there is Satan coming along with them. Satan is an angel, a spirit that is now evil. And so they look, Satan has access to the Lord. We know that from scripture because every day he goes before God and he accuses us of what we've done wrong. And so there you have it. You have angels and you have Satan himself standing before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Look at Satan's response. Satan answered the Lord from roaming through the earth and going back and forth. Why would he do that? Why would Satan roam the earth? Why would he move back and forth? Here's also we know about Satan, just for one little good theology point here. Satan can only be in one place at one time. He's not able to be like our God and be everywhere at once. He's not omnipresent. He's not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful and he's not all-present. He can only be in one spatial spot at one time. But he roams the earth looking for these points and places where, where spiritual activity is making a difference. And if he sees it or his demons report back to him, it throws his antennas up and he goes on the hunt to destroy that. So he says, hey, I've been just moving back and forth through the earth. Then it says this in verse 8. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Now listen to what God says. I mean, imagine this. There is no one on earth like him. He is what? What's your text say? Blameless. And what? Upright. A man who what? Fears God and what? Shuns evil. I mean, just stop for a second and just pause right there. Satan is, is before the throne of God. Angelic messengers are before the throne of God. And Satan says, hey, I just want to let you know, Lord, I've been moving back and forth through the earth. I'm ready to destroy. I'm ready to tear up. I'm ready to throw some evil. And God himself looks at Satan and says, hey, have you considered my servant Job? He's blameless. He's upright. And look, he serves me and he shuns evil. God acknowledges that Job is good, real good, really good. I often wonder when I read this, when God looks at earth today and Satan goes before the throne to accuse, because I believe this still takes place. I don't believe this is a one and done kind of thing. I often wonder 
when God stands, or Satan stands before God, I wonder who he says that about today. He's good. She's good. She's blameless. She's making a difference. He's making a difference. She shuns evil. He shuns evil. I wonder who God says that about today. Now, just pull away from this. Imagine that for a moment. If God would ever say that about us. You talk about incredible confidence that you would have knowing that your God believed in you. Imagine the joy that would bring to a father and we said, my son is good. Look at him. And there's this moment in time where God did this and I believe he does it today. There is no one on earth like him. Plus at this point, if God thinks that, then it should be clear sailing from here. Wouldn't you think? Then you're not going to do anything with him because he's making a difference in our world. No bad's going to come his way for crying out loud. He's good. As a parent, if this was your child, and you knew that God felt this way about your child, wouldn't you just beam with joy knowing that? Wouldn't you think, boy, if God thinks that about junior or sis, boy, they're in good hands. There's I I don't have to be concerned about their well-being. God is going to keep them from evil and protect them because he knows they're good. There'd be this sense of that parental guidance would come out and say, man, I don't have to worry about him or her. A perfect God who knows our motives and intents of our hearts says to Job, wow, he's blameless and he's good and there's no one like him. Look at Satan's response, by the way. Look at verse 9 and verse 10. Verse 9 and verse 10 says this. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Having a little sarcasm. And says, well, you know. Or, and, and, and then he says in verse 10. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land? One version says it this way. So do you think Job does all that out of the sheer goodness of his heart? Why no one ever had it so good. You pamper him like a pet. Make sure nothing bad ever happens to him or his family or his possessions. Bless everything he does. He can't lose. In other words, would he still be this good and this upright if he didn't have all that protection around him? Even Satan himself is saying, there's no one good like that. Verse 11. Look at the Lord's response to Satan. He says this, very well then. Everything he has is in your what? Hands. But on the man himself, do not lay a what? Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. We acknowledge here that That God looks down at Job and he sees him as a special person because he's a Christ follower and he's acknowledging faithfulness in his life. And he said this, Satan, now now stop here and pause for a second. There's a lot going on in this little discourse. We could could spend days and weeks and, and hours in theology here. Here's what we know to be true in this moment. Satan must have permission from God if he wants to bring evil upon somebody. It's right here. God had to allow Satan approval. In other words, you can do all this. First he says, here, put him into your hands. He said, take him. But he gives him only a certain amount of evil or bad that he's allowed to bring on him. I wonder this question today. And only because I I pray that, that, that we become these kind of people and we become that kind of church. That there would be a bullseye on our back like this. That we are doing so much for God. And that we are so faithful. And that we have our hearts after him. That when God himself looks down on planet earth. He says Satan there's someone that's faithful. And we have literally had the antennas of Satan up. Because of what we're doing to advance the kingdom of God. Then if we do be careful. Because if you have a bullseye on your back. That means that you are advancing the kingdom of God. And if evil comes your way sometimes. And hardship comes your way. The very reason it might be coming. Is because you're advancing the kingdom of God. If we are advancing the kingdom, then hardship will come as acknowledgement from this passage here. I would get concerned if you and I jumped off the radar screen of the enemy. Because I know what that means. That means that we aren't advancing the kingdom of God. 
I often wonder, as I look through creation and I look through Grace Community Church today, I wonder if we get on the radar screen of our God for doing what he wants us to do. Verse 12, this this discourse goes along. Look what happens after he says this. Look in verse 12. Then the Lord said to Satan, very well, then. Everything he has is in your hands, but the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from his presence. So we know to be true that you could do anything you want, God said. But don't lay a hand on the man himself. Go for it, but don't touch his life. Don't take his life. A couple of things come to mind here as I read this today regarding do bad things happen to good people. Here's what I know to be true. Satan only has as much authority on your life as God allows, and he can only bring as much trouble as God permits. That's worth repeating. Satan only has as much authority on your life as God allows, and he can only bring as much trouble as God permits. Also know this to be true from this passage and many others. Is this, God does put a protective hedge around us, and Satan can see it, and can't do anything about it. There's a sense where God puts this protective hedge around us, and Satan can't do anything about it. He sees it, but he can't do anything about it. And in this case, God put a protective hedge around Job's life. He said, you can do anything you want to him and to those around him, but you can't take his life. And so if Satan tried to take his life, that hedge would stop it. Another thing I know to be true from this passage... Bad things happen to good people, and God is fully aware of it and allows it to happen. That's the questions I don't understand. From this passage, we know this. Bad things happen to good people. And even not only do they happen, God says, hey, go do it to them. I give you permission. I don't know why, other than this. How God determines how that happens and how that unfolds and the purpose and the intake of how it all plays out. But when I look through scripture, I know this to be true. There are times when God allows it to happen and for the greater purpose that he wants in us, he says, go do it. And the end result of that, sometimes you might not see on this side of eternity, but when you stand before God one day and I do, we will see as he does and we will know as he does and we will be able to look back and say, that is why. God is fully aware of evil, and he's in total control of Satan in the world. I mean, have you ever had something just happen to you out of the blue? It's like, man, I wish I had some control over that one. Like, evil just came your way. It's like this bad thing just happened to you. It's like, man, it's like, man, how can I control that? And you have no control of it. And just a little sidebar here. Yesterday, my email got hacked. It's the first time it's ever got hacked. And if you ever had your email address hacked, it's, it's not much fun. And so yesterday, I found out through other people emailing back to me that I was sending out email messages to gazillions of people in my email address for Viagra and smoking cigarettes. You think about this for a second. I mean, someone had fun at my expense. So I'm just going through my day, and all of a sudden I see this, these emails are returning to me. I had my iPhone, I open it up, and all these emails are coming out. All of a sudden, my inbox is just loaded with these bad email addresses, and I'm looking down. It's like, man, what is going on? And then I started to see people who were trying to Facebook me and say, hey, Jim, check your email. I just got an email from you. And one guy says, man, you ought to make some money off of that. They, used to, they, they advertise at your expense. That could be a, a wealthy day. Now, think about the context of that, by the way. My son sent me two emails. He said, Dad, you better check your email. I got to have a discussion with Isaiah today because I know it's in his email box too. And it's just, it's just, now what really made this interesting was these went overseas to missionaries and to people who have a, who have a, a barrier that kind of are a little different culturally. Even the director of our Cambodian home, the, the house director, the house parent, whose English isn't very, very, very good and who, who has trouble sometimes understanding what I'm typing to him, uh, Nat Vondo. And so I got a response from him. He's one of the kindest people that you'll ever meet. I opened my email today and it said this, and, and the return address was for Viagra. And his response was, thank you, Pastor Jim. <laughs> <laughs> he had no idea. So I'm scrambling, trying to respond back, trying to explain. My email got hacked. He doesn't know what hacked means means 
that there's a virus. He didn't know what virus meant. He just thought I was sending him something nice. And the, and the, the subject line says, help your impotence. And he said, thank you, Pastor Jim. Just said, bad things do happen. So if you got an email from me, I'm sure you got a chuckle out of it at my expense. I never changed my password so quickly as I did yesterday, but it, it went through my whole inbox. And so all over the world, people are enjoying something that happened to me. And I'm still trying to recover from Vondo, trying to explain that to him. How do you do that with someone who doesn't know language like you know it? And then he taps on the link and it's like, next time he sees me, you know, just... <laughs> time to move on. <laughs> Look at verse 13. Look what happens next. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby. And the Sabians attacked and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Everything he had worked for up to that moment was in good hands. Everything that he had owned is gone. So what do you, you know to be true at this time? When everything falls apart for you, when everything that you thought was there the day before and out of nowhere, a plane flies into your life and crashes everything you know, and all of a sudden, what is your response when everything wasn't the same as it was 20 minutes ago? Your response might be, life is fragile and sometimes it doesn't seem fair. And sometimes for no apparent reason at all, tragedy strikes on our doorstep. Does it mean that God's not there? Absolutely not. Does it mean he's not in control? Absolutely not. Does it mean that bad things can happen to good people? Absolutely yes. You see, we want to run from pain in our lives. Seriously, when you think about feeling pain, feeling pain is vital and a real part of our lives. If we had no pain or didn't feel pain, we we wouldn't be the people that we are. I mean, we wouldn't be able to respond to pain if we didn't have pain in our lives. It lets us react before anything serious happens. For instance, if you've ever studied leprosy, lepers, I read a book many years ago by uh, Dr. Phil Brand and uh, or Phil Yancey and, and, and Dr. Brand. And, and they, they did a study on lepers in third worlds. And what leprosy does to a human being is it removes the nerve endings in your body that you, where, where when pain comes on your doorstep, you can feel it. And so lepers literally have this skin-eating disorder that's taking place, and they don't even feel it. The endings to their nerves have been numbed and dulled, and leprosy, lepers don't feel pain. Now you might say, well, that'd be a good thing. Is it a good thing? That you don't know that you just ripped your arm off? Is it a good thing that you don't know that someone just punched you and hit you? Is it a good thing that you've broken ribs and can't feel it? Is it a good thing that your heart is beating in a weird way and you don't know it? Is it a good thing not to have pain? The studies that they showed in this book, there was one story of an individual who who wanted to meet Dr. Brand and he wanted to stay up because Dr. Brand would come and treat these lepers. And so this leper had fear that somehow if it fell asleep at night in the slum that it was sleeping in, that rats would come in and eat its fingers and eat his body and gnaw away. And so it had so much fear. And when the rats would come, when we would fall asleep, it would begin to gnaw away. And lepers didn't feel it. And so many of lepers die of bacteria that come on them and viruses from rodents. And so this leper wanted to meet Dr. Brandon. He didn't want to fall asleep. And so he decided he would take this oil lamp and have this light right by his head as he slept at night so that it would try to keep him awake. And so he was tired and this light was bright. And he thought, if I keep this light on, I'll stay awake and the rodents and the rats won't chew my body up. Well, his body got weary and tired. 
medicine. He was waiting for Dr. Brand because Dr. Brand had medicine that would help him be able to overcome this leprosy or at least maintain it. And so he was getting sleepier and sleepier. And the story goes, he was getting sleepier where he fell asleep. He was just too tired and worn out. And Dr. Brand didn't walk in. And as he fell asleep, he laid his head down and the, the, the lamp went up near his skin and it began to burn the whole side of his face and his arm and he didn't even feel it. So why does God allow pain? Why is it good to feel pain? It gives us a chance to respond and react. If we don't have pain, then we don't know what to do with the suffering that we're facing. But Job is having this kind of attack on his life. He loses all his animals, loses a lot of his possessions. And then this says this in verse 18. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are what? What's the word? Dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up, tore his robe, and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in what? Think about this. This is tragic. Out of nowhere, a life was taken. He lost his sons and daughters. Bam, they're gone. Just the day before, he was known as blameless and upright. And no one was like him, man like him in the east. Everything was good. And out of nowhere, not based upon anything he did wrong, his possessions are taken. His children are dead. Bam, and what is his response? He kneels and worships God. In all this, Job did not charge God for wrongdoing. Look at verse 20. He tore his robe. And then he says this in 21. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be what? Praise. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. He understood something God might have allowed evil, but he's not the agent of evil. Can, we, can, you, can I repeat that? God is not the agent of evil. He allows it. We live in a world that has fallen. We live in a world that has sinned. And the effects of sin cause people to do bad things. And God allows it. He isn't the agent of it. But this ticks Satan off. He took everything he thought from Job and then... He took everything but his life and he took some of his children and now Job is on his knees worshiping God. You don't think that didn't tick Satan off? You bet it did. Let's get the record straight. There is no one who does good. There are good people, but there's no one who does good. Our good is never good enough to earn salvation. We learned that in Ephesians 2. We also know that in Romans 3, 10 and 18, that's no one righteous. So the argument begins with this statement. We live in a world where sin has evil effect on everything. And sometimes we suffer because of bad choices. And sometimes we suffer because God allows it to happen, to cause us to lean on him. Read on here. Look at chapter 2. Look what happens next. Job's second test. On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord to get their marching orders. And Satan also came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? I've been roaming around the earth. I've been picking on Job. Verse 3. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? He's probably saying, yes, I have. I took his children. I took his stuff. There is no one on earth like him. God still says that to him after he took everything. And he still maintains his integrity. Though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, then Satan replied, a man will give all he has for his own life, but stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones and he will surely curse you to his face. The Lord said to Satan, very well, then he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with the painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife even said to him, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse 
God and die. He replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Look at that. Shall we accept good from God and not bad trouble? Here it is. Right there it is. God gives good. God gives bad to good people. And Job said, shall we just take the good and not the bad? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Shall we accept good from God and not bad? Our response to hard times reveals what we know to be true. I want to repeat that. Your response and my response to when all hell breaks loose in your home and your family reveals what you know to be true about your God. Suffering and pain makes us crawl back to God. During this time of 911, you look back, 911, more people ran to the church than ever before and ran back to God. Is that a good thing that millions of people came to Christ at the expense of oh, all those that lost their lives? We got to say that is a good thing. I'll never forget. We were still over on Clinton Street. And I remember when people were running back to the church, we put a wall, a prayer wall on our ground that people could come and write their prayer requests for our country. It united and people began to unite and people ran back to the churches. Churches were flooded with people and God was being worshipped like never before. Church attendance spiked in the United States like never before. And there were more salvations in that year recorded than in a very, very, very long time. So did God take what was intended for evil and turn it into good? I say, yes. But let me say this thirdly. There is not easy answers to hard stuff. Psalm 112 and verse 7 says this, we have no fear of bad news. His heart is steadfast, trusting the Lord. Pause for a second and think about this. This came out of nowhere. For Job, God didn't email Job and prepare him ahead of time. Say, tomorrow at 11 o'clock, you're going to have sores all over your body. Go grab some pottery and scrape. Tomorrow at 1030, all your children are going to die. Just want to let you know ahead of time. Tomorrow at, at, at 930, I'm going to foreclose on all your cars and all your homes and all your possessions. The bankers are going to come and be, be, for reasons beyond what you know, they're going to tell you that you don't own them anymore. No, God didn't call him up one night and say, guess what? Be prepared. But he tells us to be prepared when tragedy strikes on our doorsteps. Sometimes we have no idea as to why tragic stuff happens in our world. But we do know is this, is that it hasn't taken God by surprise. I love the translation that's going behind me and it says this from 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. It says, friends, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. Instead, be glad that you are in the very thick of what God experienced. This is a spiritual refining process with glory just around the corner. In other words, when you come out of this, God's going to get glorified and you will experience unbelievable intimacy like never before. So hold on in the midst of trial. Hold on in the midst of pain. Don't bail out. This came even when he was doing all the right stuff, Job. But it also came because he got the attention of Satan. Why, you might have asked. Let me just say this right now. There are demons all around our lives. There are demons in this world that want to tear your marriage apart. They want to destroy your children. They want to destroy this church. They want to destroy the workplace. They want to destroy ministry. They want to destroy this world. And they are at work right now. And when you leave this place, don't you dare think after a message like this that all hell won't break loose in your home if you want to advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ. But have no fear. Our God is able to walk us through that. Bad stuff will happen to us. We need to rise to the top and believe that God is faithful and he has an intended purpose for this. And even when we don't understand, even when the pain's so difficult that we cry ourselves to sleep, at the end of this, we must say, God, we will lean on you. Look at chapter three and verse one. Look at this journey. Job goes through a difficult time. He says, after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. 
He said, may the, the day of my birth perish in the night. It was said, a boy is born that day. May it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine upon it. Chapter 4, in verse 5, he has a friend named Elipaz. And he, he basically asks him the classic question. So if all these bad things are happening in your life, I bet there's sin in your life. Don't you love when your friends come along and, or they, they don't actually say it and they see these bad things happening to you and you're a Christ follower and they whisper, yeah, he's probably got sin in his life. Yeah, I know. He's just not telling anybody. She's got sin. She's not telling. People like that, you just, you, it's like, man, wake up. Just because bad things are happening doesn't necessarily connect, connect or compute because of sin. Then there's Bildad in chapter 8. He becomes judgmental and impatient with Job. He says, clean up your life. And God will help you in verse 6. In other words, there's something wrong with you that there are these bad things in your life. Now think about this. When God, when Satan came the first time, God said about Job, he's a righteous man. And when he came and all that tragedy struck on him, where, his, where everything was taken, Satan came back and God still said that he was good. And it wasn't because of evil in his life. Job is broken. Turn to the end of the book in chapter 42. Job chapter 42. Look at verse 1. Job 42 and verse 1. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you will answer me. Read on in verse 10, it says, After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone he had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble of the Lord. Look, the Lord had brought upon him. There it is. And each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. Then it says this in verse 15. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father granted them an inheritance with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so he died old and full of years. Here's what I know to be true. Bad things do happen to good people. And God tells us to hold on because he has this situation in our hands. And so don't dare think that because this tragedy is happening in your life that God's not in control and that he doesn't want to work it out for something good. Psalm 46 and verse 10 is a good passage to go to and I'll wrap it up with this thought. Just turn there. Psalm 46. Psalm 46 says this, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. And in verse 7, it says this, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. God, help us today. Help us today to recognize and know, God, even when everything is falling apart around us, and even we don't have answers, and the pain is so overwhelming, we think we can't go on. God, help us to realize that you are in control. And that if we hold on, there's an end to these sufferings. And there's an end to what we are facing now that there are brighter days ahead and help us to see that we have hope and strength in you, Jesus. So God, I pray today, I don't know where people are at in this room, but here's what I know to be true. We will walk through hard times. Help us, God, if we're in the midst of those times even now to know that you are there and you are the refuge and that we can hold on to you. We love you, God. Thank you for the promises of your word and thank you for your faithfulness over these past 10 years, the way that you have walked us through this challenging time. You are our refuge and strength. In Jesus' name, amen.